0: Well, hey there, everybody, we'd like to invite you to visit South Dakota through the eyes of local Lou. She'll take you on a tour of lots of things to see and do. So enjoy your virtual visit. And welcome to the Local Lou podcast. Thank you so much for all of your awesome interest and support as I get going on this little podcast about South Dakota historical markers and local history. I appreciate all the love for this amateur as I figure things out along the way. To get the vibe for our historical marker today, I went ahead and played my 1800s jam playlist. Not that all the songs are actually from the 1800s, it's just a playlist to sort of set the vibe before I spend a hot sunny afternoon researching. <laughs> when the song Colored Aristocracy played, I immediately thought of Del Rapids, South Dakota, like you do. Del Rapids is a small town in South Dakota, population under 4,000 people. Del Rapids is north of Sioux Falls, and I've passed through quite a few times, but I've only planned on going there one time on one of my unplanned stops in Del Rapids. It was late on a Saturday afternoon and I was walking the main street, peering into the windows of businesses that were closed for the day, and I saw the Del Rapids Museum. I walked into this cool, like literally cool, (laughs) this cool, fairly dark museum and was immediately greeted by that familiar smell of old stuff and just stacks of keys and local artifacts it was totally my zone there were three men there and they were playing i want to say like banjo fiddle guitar but it could have been two fiddles and a banjo not sure i know there was a banjo unfortunately i'm not able to find the video i took of me when i was at the museum with the men playing in the background it's there somewhere in probably an old phone or something. I always forget to back things up. There are also two women there and they were eating sandwiches and they were just staring at me. I was really unbothered by it being a um, small town connoisseur. Outsiders always get looks. You're always going to be visually investigated by locals for signs of heritage or connection to the town. Aren't you so and so's? Insert daughter, cousin, sister, friend. <laughs> I kept looking through the items, reading old newspapers, enjoying the collection of oddities. There is even an upstairs, and I spent some time up there. After probably an hour, I made my way back to the front of the museum. And I i mean, I was a little surprised that the whole time I was there, nobody greeted me. Nobody gave me any information about the place. But as I was getting ready to exit, the men were stopping playing to take a break and enjoy some of the food that the women were putting out for them. And I approached a guy and I said, hey, I enjoyed that last song that you guys were playing. He explained to me it was called Colored Aristocracy and I should look up the Taj Mahal version that I would enjoy it. And I have, and he is correct, and I do. (laughs) I then told him that I enjoyed the museum. Them playing just made it even cooler and then he looked at me and then he said to me, yes, the museum is a nice place. You should come back sometime when it's open. So, yeah. When Colored Aristocracy played on my playlist today, the first time through, I just smiled and shook my head thinking of the day that I interrupted a private event at a closed El Rapids museum. And you know, to be honest, now looking back and knowing that it was closed, and I had no business being there, those ladies staring at me were actually really nice about it. Historical marker, Fort Dakota. Residents fled Sioux Falls City, Dakota Territory, after the 1862 slaying of the Amadons. The town site was abandoned until May 5, 1865, when Lieutenant Colonel John Pate chose this location for Fort Brookings, a new military outpost. Construction began after a 48 oxen-drawn wagon train of supplies arrived in Sioux City, Iowa. Soldiers built shelters for horses, supplies, and the garrison. In time, the post grew in size to 18 buildings and was renamed Fort Dakota. An elevated lookout and a military cemetery were added on the West Bluff. An abandoned quartzite building became the commissary, while a new enlisted man's barracks was built of timbers. A stone round tower 15 feet in height and 30 feet in diameter was constructed. Two 12-pounder mountain howitzers were mounted on its deck. The presence of Fort Dakota calmed tensions in the Big Sioux River Valley. It not only offered new settlers a sense of security, but also routinely fed hungry Dakota Indians who had been banished from their Minnesota homeland. Fort Dakota closed in 1869. Fort Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It seems even in its birth, it was not discernible as a fort. And now 150 years later, nothing remains but a historical marker in a parking lot. A forgotten four-year fort on the frontier placed west of the Big Sioux in what's now downtown Sioux Falls. So why did an abandoned town need a fort? Picture this, an August day, in the undeveloped land of Sioux Falls, 1862. South Dakota won't be a state until 1889, so we are in Dakota territory, territory. A judge, Joseph Amidon, and his son William are working in their field and are both killed by Native Americans. This was a turning point for an already sparsely populated area. It brought fear, panic, to the land that the Native Americans would be hunting settlers. Not exactly something you're going to be putting in your city's brochure. People wanted protection. They wanted a military post to show that they would not take any more arrows in the back. 1865, Fort Dakota comes to be. Of course, as it says in the historical marker, it started out as Fort Brookings, an homage to an early settler. However, the name was changed to Fort Dakota. Sounds like bureaucracy crap. Brookings gets his name all over the place anyway. Just not on a fort. But he gets a pretty cool town with a nice college and a really good hamburger place called Nick's. The fort was a grouping of buildings, not a typical fort-looking fort. As I've previously explained, when I think of a fort, I envision Oregon Trail. (laughs) I envision where it's like a solid wood fence surrounding a large log building, and this is perpetuated by the fact that the only fort that I have visited so far is Fort Pipestone and that's what that looks like. Looking at pictures of Fort Dakota from the Siouxland Heritage Museum, it is surprising to see. If I were to come across Fort Dakota with no knowledge of what it was, I would have mistook it for a town. Several buildings scattered over a pretty big area surrounded by a single rail fence. The the fence is three foot high, single rail. I mean, this is pretty basic. Captain Iker was in charge of building the fort. Maybe he misunderstood the project and was too far into the process at that point to ask any questions for clarifications. I would love to know his process. Could it be as simple as using the materials available and that's the only fort that he could figure out? Was it that he's been to like so many forts and he always thought when I get to do my own fort, it's going to be different. It's going to look like a town. The fort was intended to be temporary. I believe that's why it was built in that more relaxed fashion. According to the Siouxland Heritage Museum's Protecting the Frontier Fort Dakota exhibit, quote, one of Fort Dakota's largest buildings was the Log Barracks, which Company E of the 6th Iowa Cavalry built in May 1865. This log from the barracks is white oak. At this size, it would take 768 logs to build the barracks if men could get five logs out of each tree, it would take 192 trees to build that structure alone, end quote. The barracks ended up being the longest standing building from the fort, and though the fort was abandoned in, in 1869, the barracks was repurposed several times after that until it too was finally demolished in 1873. The fort started small, but by the end had 18 buildings. One of the buildings. The commissary, as stated in the historical marker, was made from an abandoned quartzite building. And that just stuck out to me after learning in a South Dakota magazine article, The Missing Amidens. Joseph Amidon was a stonecutter and made a small quartzite home for his family on the west bank of the Big Sioux River. And he dead. I'm just brainstorming here. Couldn't the commissary be the dead Amiden's house? Shout out to Iowa 6th Cavalry for being from Clinton, Iowa. Hey, hey. I've totally been there. Reading up on the Calvary's history, I saw they marched from Davenport, Iowa, to Sioux City, Iowa. From March 16th to April 26th, 1863. And guys, I've done that drive from Sioux City to Davenport a handful of times. Even with some good jam out music, that drive can get a little long. I'm not complaining though. My next drive, I will think about those men marching. And when I see my 78th cornfield of the day, at least I can jam out to a playlist. Captain Iker was in his 30s when he was entrusted to build... Dakota. He ended up living to be 65 and it doesn't look like he was married or had any children in those 65 years. I found a bunch of newspaper clippings though. Everything from gifts he gave to young married couples starting out, him being appointed an art director of a local fair, uh, random business dealings, political ambitions. Seems like quite a man about town. Full disclosure, I also came across a picture of Captain Iker, and he's a little dreamy. In an article from the Burlington Weekly Hawkeye, May 30th, 1863, the 6th Calvary felt the need to write a letter to the public with dozens of men signing off on it after a Chicago reporter used some very racist and colorful language and described the Calvary as being copperheads. Fancy word warning, Copperhead is any citizen in the North who opposed the war policy and advocated restoring the Union through a negotiated settlement with the South. What I love about the letter that the Calvary put together is pretty much their entire response, but I'll only read one paragraph and I'll add the link to the show notes to give you the opportunity to read the whole thing if you're interested like I was. Quote, the undersigned speaking for themselves only would deem it most grievous insult to be called quote unquote copperheads. We have neither done nor said anything to merit that most disgraceful epitaph. We have no sentiments whatever in common with that class of men. We will carry the national flag wherever those who command us see fit to send us, end quote. Well, they got sent to Dakota Territories to build us a fort. Let's go back to Fort Dakota. Can we just note that the historical marker says two 12-pound howitzers were mounted to a tower? And the very next line says the presence of the fort calmed tensions. Yeah really mellow out a situation. There's a lot of comings and goings. Calvary's, infantry's, various companies, in and out, Iowa, Minnesota, Dakota territories. This is where I need some type of chart or maybe a timeline. Yes, I need a timeline. The fort was in operation for four years. In that time, there were four deaths at the fort but none of them relating to Native American combat. You know, the whole reason that they were there? We must protect this land? That whole thing? No one died from that. (laughs) They died from illness, drowning, and somebody even died from a blizzard. More on the four men who died when I cover their historical marker. Dun dun dun. I have to say, there's kind of a bummer here. There is nothing left of Fort Dakota, not a vestige. I went down and they paved Fort Dakota and put up a parking lot. The historical marker is literally in between two parking lots. It's just there. And I understand the purpose of a historical marker is to mark a historic site. There doesn't necessarily have to be ruins. It's just a heck of a lot more fun when there is. Or just some kind of remnants to visually stir your imagination into what could have been there. Most specifically, I would have loved if the Quartzite building was still there or that tower that they built. I think both of those things would look really cool in downtown Sioux Falls, but it's not an option. Fort Dakota was a temporary fort and it was temporary. Only a couple years. Came and went and they were gone. They did their duty. They did what they came here to do, restore peace and order, get people to come back to Sioux Falls and settle the area again without the fear of being murdered by Native Americans. Though, of course, we only know one side of that story. There's also the fact that once the population did start to get going again around Sioux Falls, you weren't allowed to settle on military land. So all of a sudden the thing you wanted you don't want anymore. The fort can get up and go because this is prime real estate and it still is to this day. Of course it is a parking lot but parking lots are important in the downtown area. Special thanks to the Sioux Falls historian Bruce Blake who I'll never have a chance to meet. Even though I enjoy the fruits of his labors I think we would have been really good friends Bruce or you would have been annoyed by me probably. You might have been annoyed by me. I would have had such a fun time talking to you. And thank you guys for being the best listeners a girl could ask for. If you want to interact with the podcast, follow Local Lou Podcast on Instagram. Check the show notes for links and references. And if you happen to be using Apple, drop a rate and review to help this podcast be more visible to others. They have no idea what they're missing. Not until you rate and review. They don't know. Have a great and wonderful day, guys, and see you next time on the Local Lou Podcast.